Welcome to Sports Central on 88.1 The Bird. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sports Central live on 88.1 FM, the 88.1 The Berg app, 88.1theberg.com and iHeartRadio. We have a great show for you today. I sat down earlier this week with CWU senior guard for the men's basketball team, Naeem Ladd, to talk about the season coming up. First game was on Thursday against Gonzaga and their second game, it's an exhibition, it's at home later tonight. I also sat down with our very own Will Ortner to talk about the World Series, what he saw out of there in the uh, Boston Red Sox, Los Angeles Dodgers series. And then I sat down with our own Ian Collins and Cajal Lang to talk about the NFL, what they're expecting coming up in the season and the trade deadline that happened earlier this week along with many other people. So get ready. This is a great show for you guys. My name is Austin Lane. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're live every Saturday at 9 a.m. with your biggest MLB, NFL, NBA, and college football headlines from around the week. And today we actually have a very special show for you. We're going to be on from 9 to 10.30. From 10 to 10.30, we're going to be talking CWU football. And then actually from 10.30 to 11, we're going to send it to Jeff McMillan and Dave Haverlow out in Boulevard, Missouri right now for the CWU game at Southwest Baptist University, the second to last game of the season. So that'll be in an hour and a half. So don't go anywhere. Stick around for that and stick around for the first segment coming up here in a minute. I'm talking to Will Ortner about the World Series here on Sports Central on 88.1 The Berg. All right, welcome back to Sports Central. Austin Lane sitting down in the studio now with Will Ortner. And we're talking about the World Series, Red Sox winning the World Series 4-1 to over the Dodgers. What was kind of your initial reaction to this? Well, there was a lot of crying in my household, Austin, as you know, and as some of the other people who listen to the show know. My mom is a Dodger fan. My uh, grandparents are Dodgers fans. So there was a lot of crying, and there was a lot of like, oh, like, why do we suck? But it'll be okay. Yeah, back-to-back World Series that you guys have lost now. Yeah, it's Last very depressing. Year to the Astros, this year to the Red Sox. What's it going to take for the NL as a whole to like kind of get over this American League that seems so dominant right now? Well, I think right now what they need to do is start uh, buying players ex- mm-hmm. from the Red Sox and from the Yankees. Like you got to go out in free agency, and That's you can't. Hard. I know they've got so much money at those teams. It seems like, and then it seems like the Red Sox because they still kind of do that money ball stuff. Yeah. Uh, even though Epstein left, so the NL just needs to be smarter about like pay big money for good players, but good players that are going to help your team. And like the Dodgers, we're, we're missing Seager, so that kind of sucks. But yeah, we'll be okay. Yeah, me and my dad, huge Mariners fans, and so we always need like a scapegoat of like no matter who wins the World Series, we need to like blame it on someone, someone or something because it wasn't the Mariners. And right after uh, Game Five, where the Red Sox won the World Series, my dad texts text me and <clears throat> is like, you know, uh, you should do a story on how money is ruining sports. Like right away, he's just like, Red Sox have way more money than the Mariners, and you know that's ruining the game of baseball. Well, here's what's really like frustrating about that is they really don't. Like, see, the Mariners have that Mario Kart money. Like, why aren't they spending Nintendo's money on good players instead of, like, aging Robbie Cano and aging Nelson Cruz? It's really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, some of the Mariners' contracts, you look at them right now, the the Cano one, the Felix one. Oh, Felix is so bad. They're they're going out there and throwing me on the mound out there. It's brutal. Like, he was great, but come on now. He's not worth a hundred and some odd million dollars. Yeah, the, the common... Uh, misconception, I think, is, oh, the Yankees and the Red Sox have so much money so they can just walk right to the World Series. We've seen it historically proven. The athletics can make the World Series with one of the lowest payrolls. And actually, something we might be talking about a little bit later uh, this year, 
I think the Tampa Bay Rays, with their low payroll, I think they might be good next year. Well, and they were good in the past. I mean, what? not even five years ago, they had that core of yeah. Zobris, Longoria, David Price on the mound for yeah. them. So they're solid. They can win. It's proven that they can win. The, the issue with especially like the Northwest teams, i.e. the Seattle Mariners, is they spend their money on guys who are past their prime, where it's like we need to get them early on. Or, you know, maybe draft better. Maybe instead of drafting Dustin Ackley, you could oh, maybe draft Mike Trout. That is the Like, come problem. on now. Yeah, the Mariners have had horrible drafts in the last couple of years, and it's showing now with nobody in the farm system. I mean, they got Kyle Lewis, who's been injury prone. They have Evan White, who we haven't even seen yet, really. We don't even know what he can do. You have Daniel Vogelback, who's... Turning more into just a trade piece than a first he's baseman. He's awful. You think he's he, awful? He Vogelback is awful, dude. I think he has potential, but, I mean, he's just he could end up just another Mariners first baseman, which has been bad the last 20 years. He's a chubby O-lineman that wasn't tough enough to play football, so now he's hitting bombs for the Mariners. But if he's not hitting a bomb, he's striking out. He's basically Mike Zanino at first base. And he's talk, brutal. Talking about the homegrown talent, kind of drafting guys and letting them come up in your own farm system as opposed to going out and buying players, I think people will overlook that on the Red Sox team this year that won the World Series. You have a lot of players on that team that have been grown through their farm system, guys like Andrew Benintendi, uh, Brock Holt, you know, even Steve Pierce, the World Series MVP, I think he came up through their farm system as well. So they didn't have to go out and buy pieces. Now, I think buying pieces at the trade deadline um, or trading your younger guys for – um, talent come the trade deadline is the thing that pushes you over the top of the rest of the league, but it is those young guys that come up through the farm system that really makes your team. Look at the Cubs from a couple years ago. Well, the only guy that I can really think of as a casual baseball fan that is like, oh, he's our guy, he's homegrown, is Sugar Diaz. Yeah. Like everyone else, you know, you traded for him or you got him in free agency. Yeah. No one is homegrown. Your next best guy is what, Mike Zanino, who's like a walking strikeout? So I would say Kyle Seager is probably the next best guy. Yeah, okay, I guess I, I, I did forget about Seager. All right, but then It's still, easy to forget about him after this last season, no so kidding. I don't blame you. But still, then your number three homegrown guy is Zanino, the walking strikeout? Like, that's yeah. brutal. Come on. They need to fix their farm system, and I really hope they fix it fast because from my area, they have a kid who's a pitcher in their farm system at a Kingsway, mm-hmm. uh, Damon Kasich Stubbs, and I think he's a solid pitcher, and I hope that the Mariners can build him and others into future stars for the team. Yeah. And now, you know, in four or five years, we're going, well, the Mariners just won one. So, yeah. I, I don't know. It's It's been a running joke for a while now to sort of pay attention to former Mariners that were, you know, in Tacoma, in Everett, playing in our farm system that we traded away to try and get an older veteran to sort of help the team get over the hump and make the playoffs, and it just hasn't happened. And like I said, it's, it's like a running joke to, like, you know, you look at, like, Brad Miller, oh, Rays, you know, he's doing good now. Yeah, now he's good after yeah. he left Seattle. Yeah. Man, perfect. And many, many players come up through our farm system that we trade away. Uh, another guy I can think of right off the top of my head is Tyler O'Neill going to St. Louis. You know, a lot of people were excited to see him come up through our farm system, and we traded him for Marco Gonzalez, who this year was a good trade, but future and relying on young, young talent to help bolster your organization in 10, 15 years, they just traded all away. Yeah, it's really frustrating, too, because – it seems to me like they're on the right track with this GM and manager group. Yeah. The issue is is that right when you're like, all right, 
we've got good young players, but we also have crafty veterans who are going to help lead the young players, and we're going to be really good. Just something happens. We make a trade. Someone gets hurt. Cano gets suspended. Yeah, someone gets suspended for taking a diuretic. Like, come on, if you're going to get suspended, <laughs> at least take the real steroids. <laughs> like, do the real stuff. Be and the get, Sammy yeah. Sosa. Be the Mark McGuire. If you're going to do it, be just take HGH <laughs> and just go out there and hit bombs every time you try and bunt. Like, come oh. on. Don't get busted for a diuretic. But that's beside the point. <laughs> they need to do a better job of getting homegrown talent in and then trading for your Robbie Cano's, your Nelson Cruz's yeah. to help bolster these guys. Because Robbie Cano and Nelson Cruz, they're going to be gone within four years. Like yeah. They're just going to retire. Felix is on the way out. So now who's your young cast? You know, uh, Marco Gonzalez and Paxton, I'm, who's injury prone. Paxton, Mike that, Leak, who's inconsistent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Wade LeBlanc is basically a middle reliever that you just threw out there. He had a good season. Don't get me wrong, but he's nothing special. He yet. is no. And then you're looking at your bats. Um, you know, Segura's good. He's going to get down base. But, I mean, even D. Gordon. D. Gordon's in his 30s. Yeah. So you've got older there. Seager's getting close to his 30s if he's not already in it. He's old. So, you know, you got to hope that guys like Healy or Zanino finally get rid of their strikeout ways and start putting the bat on the ball. I completely agree with you. And I think the Mariners are in a tough spot this offseason. It's going to be interesting to see what Jerry DePoto and company do. They're kind of in this weird gray area where – they don't really want to sell all their young talent that they have left, you know, a couple pieces down in the farm system to get some older talent because, like you said, guys like Cano and Cruz are going to be gone in a couple years and you're going to be left with absolutely nothing to hinge upon. We're going to be, I'm telling you, if we don't make the playoffs in the next five years and we don't have anyone coming out of the farm system, we're going to be back to a 100-loss team. But on the other hand of uh, things, you kind of don't want to blow the organization up and trade away all those older guys for younger talent because we're right on the cusp of making the playoffs. We had a good season. We just picked the wrong time to have a good season. Well, we just cooked it is really the main issue. We followed <laughs> WSU and we we just found a way to lose. Classic Seattle sports fan. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We were in we were in prime position to make playoffs this year and Ooh, 17 game swing is what it ended up being. Like yeah. we were up 11 and then we lose by 18. And so don't 19. get me wrong, this might be the the season, the one season that they should have made the playoffs, and we might be seeing again the next four or five seasons nothing, just because this was the year and it didn't happen. Well, and it it, it really is hard because you're in a league with the A's and with the Angels, and then when you're looking at wild card, you've got the Red Sox and you've got the Yankees. Oh, but yeah. enough is enough. The Mariners need to get into postseason baseball. Seattle is a baseball town. As much as I love my Seahawks and I love football, I know the truth, and I know that Seattle would be rocking if the Mariners could make it back into the playoffs. But they just—they always seem to find a way to just shoot themselves in the foot, yeah. and it's so frustrating. So you want them to make the playoffs, but what do you specifically expect the Mariners to do this offseason to try and get into the playoffs? I mean, they have problems. They have you know, a center field spot that you put D. Gordon in, and he's not that great in center field. You put Guillermo Heredia in, he's not that great at center field. You know, they need another outfielder piece. And again, you have the problems that catcher, Mike Zanino's great defensive catcher, but can't hit the ball to save his life. And then you had Seeger last year who had a, a horrible season. What are you going to do to fix these spots? I'm very much like a chip in a chair kind of person. So I think you just have to find a way to get in. And I trust DePoto and I trust his staff. They've gone out and gotten guys like Segura and Hanniger in great trade. 
great trades, free agency. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to trust him to go out and fill the holes. And then you might just leave uh, Heredia or D. Gordon out in center field. It's not perfect, but it's the best you can do. And you know that they're going to make up for it in other areas. Mm-hmm. And then I... With Seager, I hope it's just a blip. I hope it's just like, yeah, he had a bad year. I'm going to throw a little trust in him. He's like been the only consistently good player for the Mariners since he got in. I mean, yeah. Cano, Cruz, but they came in after. Yeah. I'm going to trust Seager. I'm going to hope that Zanino starts not striking out. Maybe take a few pitches for once in your life. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Maybe he can finally break Same the Same with snide. D. Gordon. I think, he, I think he had less than 10 walks this season. Yeah, he needs very to start watching un- the ball too. Very uncharacteristic of him, but at the same time, when he gets on base, he's stealing bases. He's yeah. very exciting to watch. So I'm I'm excited about where we're going, but I do have a little bit like it's a little bit of a hot seat right now. Mm-hmm. You have to win, and you have to win now, or the good players are going to be gone. Yeah, and this is the year. You got to do it. You got to do it, or else is all for nothing. Yeah, I think the 2019 season for me specifically comes down to uh, we need. A couple guys in AAA to have an amazing season down at Tacoma that you don't really expect to have a good season. I think we're going to need maybe one or two players for the Rainiers to be kind of like that 300 batting average, 30 home run season down in AAA because those are the pieces if you're trying to make it into the playoffs, you're going to need to trade away come July 31st. Yeah, exactly, and I'd agree with that. But then I also think that we need players that are already up in the majors and up in the system to have big years. Kyle Seager, you can't play like that if you want to continue to play on this team and you want to continue to play in this league. Ryan Healy, you can't strike out as many times as you did this year with as few home runs at the dish or mm-hmm. as few doubles, as few singles. Shoot, your batting average was god-awful. It was like 250, 260 yeah. in that range. That's unacceptable, and that's not just Healy. That's Zanino as well. And I don't think you get much better if you put Vogelbach in at first base. So my thing there is... There's a lot of players that stepped up this year that you got to step up even more and you yeah. got to play even better. Marco Gonzalez, great year. You got to do it again. Yeah. Wade LeBlanc, you got to do it again. Felix Hernandez, you got to figure it out. If you have to throw with your freaking left hand, like go out there and throw with your left hand because you're brutal. And James Paxton, don't do anything at any time at all that might result <laughs> in you hurting something. Yeah. Like if you got to pick something up, go call the significant other, your girlfriend or whatever, to go pick it up for you because. <laughs> Dude, you can't get hurt at all. You're <laughs> you're made of glass, bud. Yeah. One last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you out of here. We're talking about the Mariners trying to make the playoffs next season, but something I'm seeing out of this AL West division is it might be the it might be the best division in baseball. You have the Astros who are going to be good. You have the Mariners who are going to be trying to make the playoffs again. You have the Athletics who we might not know what happened with them next year. I think this this was a a little bit of a strange year for the Athletics, kind of uh, outlier, you could say, in the past five, ten seasons because they were not supposed to do what they did this year, and they did it. And next year that they really won't have magic. Yeah, next year they won't have as many pieces. But you also have the Angels, who's going to have Otani and Trout, and they're going to try and fix their uh, starting pitching rotation. And you know the Rangers, they might do something, but I don't expect the Rangers to do anything. But like I said, those top four teams are very good and have the potential to be very good. I would say if it's not the best league in baseball, it's the second best because you got to look at the AL East. And yeah, the AL got, East is constantly. You've got a solid Boston yeah. Red Sox. Obviously, they just won the World Series. You've got but the Yankees. But here's the thing about the AL East. You're saying Red Sox-Yankees, 
The bottom three, the Orioles, Blue Jays, and uh, what's the other team out there? The Rays. The but Rays. you were just talking about the Rays coming up. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I think the Rays are going to come up. So when you're looking at it, you have three teams that we think are going to be pretty good in the East. Yeah. And then you look at it in the West, and you have two, th- two teams that we think for sure should be good in the Astros and in the Mariners. And then you've got the Angels and uh, the A's that you never know. Uh, yeah. You can't count out Mike Trout. I think the ALS Trout. might be better I than the I think I just talked year. myself into agreeing with you. <laughs> I was going full AL East. The AL West and might now be better than the AL East I'm, next season. It might be. It depends on how the A's do, and it depends on yeah. the Angels. I mean, they and do, the Rays. And the Rays. The I'm Rays. You. That's true. You do have the best player in baseball right now in Mike Trout. Yeah. And arguably the most versatile player in Shohei Otani. But nobody around them. That's very true. I mean, uh, Albert Pujols, he's uh, been kind of playing like Pujols lately. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I'm going to go, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree that the West is the best division in baseball. You've talked me into it. I will bow down to your superior baseball knowledge. <laughs> I, Will Ortner, will admit that you, Austin Lane, are correct. Now, do you agree with me on this? Next season, the AL West and the AL East send the two wildcard teams yet again? Yes, for sure. I the, think it's for sure, too. The AL Central is god awful. Yeah. They're lucky that we don't just take away their division and just make it. West versus East. And something that almost happened this year that nobody could see coming was, you know, if the Mariners stayed better, it could have been the A's and the Mariners as the wild card and left the Yankees out completely. Yeah. Something that you might not write off just yet for next season. I don't know if I'd write it off. I just, they're the New York Yankees. I know. They're the most recognizable sports brand probably in the whole world. Yeah. And, and if they're, I if never they're looking, vote them out. If they're looking at like 89, 90 wins come the trade deadline, they're going to they're gonna go out and get someone to make it 95 yeah. to 100. They'll find a way to win the games. Yeah. And, I mean, worst case scenario, Manfred just uh, goes out there and pulls some strings and uh, maybe, they, maybe they get a couple calls to go their way here and there and yeah. then they make it to the playoffs. So uh, I would hold off on the two AL West. Mm-hmm. I could see two AL East possibly if the Rays do well, but – I don't know. I think it's going to be an East team and a West team. All right, last thing. Mariners got, what, 89 wins this season, I believe? 88 or 89? How many wins do you think they get next season? Uh, Well, it depends on what they do in free agency. Right now, as a hopeful fan, I'm going to say that they're going to get to the 90 mark. Mm -hmm. The question is, is that going to be enough in such a strong division and such a strong conference, really? So I'm going to hope and I'm going to pray to the baseball gods, you know, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, please hear my <laughs> prayer and go against your former team. But, yeah, I, I think about 90 wins is about what we can hope for out of the Mariners, and hopefully that's enough to make them finally into the playoffs since, what, 2001? Yep. So that's my prayer. And if it's not enough, then it'll be another off season of despair come this time next year. Yeah, I'm kind of used to it. We'll just watch some Seahawks football. <laughs> Seahawks are doing good right now, but we're going to be talking about that another part of this show. You're listening to Sports Central, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's 88 won The Berg. You're listening to 88 won The Berg, your music central. It's DJ BWT. We're out here talking today about how much we hate sports. Sports is just the absolute... Oh my gosh, our radio DJs just don't get it. Sports broadcasting is much bigger than music. When's the last time Taylor Swift made you feel like watching Tom Brady get sacked? And even though Rick Ross looks like a defensive tackle, he can't entertain you like Vince Wilfork in overalls. This is it, Chief. The show you've been waiting for, Sports Central, every Saturday at 9 a.m. Ugh, Austin, you're such a meathead. Shut up, Benito.
All right, sitting down now with CWU senior guard Naeem Ladd. Naeem, thanks for joining us today. No, no, no problem. Now, let's talk about the upcoming season for CWU men's basketball. You guys are ranked eighth in the preseason poll. What do you guys have to prove going into this season? Uh, we got a whole lot to prove. I mean, we got four returners coming back, and then the rest are all new players, uh, eight new players, I want to say. So we're all just trying to find that chemistry gel, uh, find our strengths, our weakness, and just you know buy into to the system right now. So it's going pretty good. And how has that system changed going from Coach Sparling to Coach Rinta? Uh, it's actually a different change, and it's actually going pretty good. Actually, uh, it's a lot of a lot of things in the system that you could work on and create off of. So I feel like we're going to be very successful on both ends of the floor through his through his system. And even though there's a new coach, you guys are still going to build off of last season. How are you guys uh, looking to do that? Uh, by just buying in, like I said, I mean this is a whole new team, a uh, whole new coaching staff. So it's a whole new culture, and we're just trying to buy in and find find our weakness and strengths and how we could, you know, just improve. And that's what we're doing each week since we've been on campus, just improving each week and just getting after it. So it's your last season here as a Wildcat, but it's the first season, like you said, of a new culture. How are you trying to kind of leave your lasting impression for the new guys coming in? Uh, It does go by quick for sure. I remember just yesterday I was a redshirt freshman mm -hmm. and Dom Will was here and it just go by quick. But I mean, for the young guys, it's just being a leader and just, you know, managing your time as a student athlete because, you know, that even though you're a student athlete, you got a whole lot going on off the court with just, you know, class waste and stuff like that. But just, you know, staying focused and staying on the course and pretty much just, just buying in the system. And that, that's pretty much it. Now going up to this first game of the season, what have you guys done so far in practice to kind of gel together as a team? Uh, A lot of defense. We've been doing a lot of defense for sure. Uh, just trying to uh, find our rotations and just, you know, we had our first scrimmage this past weekend against each other and it was pretty good actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, we're just, you know, getting, getting prepared for, for the season coming up. I know we, we got a tough preseason schedule, so it's going to be very tough, but we're going to, we're going to work. And I feel like, uh, this group of guys is, we're ready for the challenge. All right. So it's game day. Take me through what's going through your head. What's, what's in the head of Naeem Ladd on game day leading up to the game? Uh, Mentally focused. I'm locked in on game day. Uh, no distractions, and just buying in. I mean, it's just staying focused. And we got a, a new coach. So, with that being said, we got to just, for me personally, just buy into his system and just do whatever he wants me to do. Big opponent in Gonzaga, obviously one of the best teams in the country. What's in the headphones for the warmups while as you're getting ready on Thursday? Uh, Future, I like Future. Future? Lil Uzi too. Lil Uzi's kind of <laughs> my favorite artist. Uh, Meek Mill, kind of those kind of guys, you know, give me hype. But J. Cole too, J. Cole. All right, let's look back at the beginning of your career here at, at uh, CWU, coming in, like you said, redshirt freshman. Who were sort of those leaders on the team that you're trying to be this year? Uh, Like I said, coming in, I mean, there was Don Will in the past. He had a great, successful career here. Mm -hmm. Dom Hunter had a great career. Uh, Joseph Stroud, I mean, those all guys, Gary Jacobs, Devin Matthews, all the guys I looked up to coming in as a freshman. I mean, we battled every day at practice, so uh, kudos to them because, I mean, they pushed me to be the player I am today, and, I mean, couldn't thank them. And let's look at this year. Who are some teammates on the team this season that you're looking forward to the most playing with? Uh, Jamon. Uh, this kid named Jamon transferred in from Yakima Community College. Mm -hmm. uh, great guard, great guard. 
and Jackson Price too. I'm looking forward to playing with him in the backcourt. Uh, very he could shoot the the lights out the gym. So it's gonna be pretty exciting our backcourt this year. Even though we're small this year, I mean we're very scrappy, uh, and you know we're just gonna be underdogs when we after it. Let's talk about the GNAC. Who do you think is gonna be the toughest opponent this season? Uh, St. Martin's is gonna be pretty good. Uh, they only lost one guy and got their whole team coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke Chavez is a great guard. Uh, EJ Boyce is a great shooter. So Jordan Kitchen too. So they're gonna have a, a, a pretty good, pretty good uh, squad. SP is gonna be pretty good. Uh, the, like I said, the GNAC is always is good every year. I mean, Western Oregon is gonna be pretty. They're gonna be good. Western Washington, it's a battle every night, Thursday mm -hmm. and Saturday. <laughs> the GNAC. Talking about Western Washington, what are you looking forward to in that game? I know the big I-90 rivalry. Uh, I'm actually happy he's on a Saturday this year out here. So, I mean, that's the bright side. And it's one of the great atmospheres I've ever played in. And I've played in a lot of games since mm -hmm. high school. So, I mean, it's one of the best feelings ever. And I just can't wait for the young guys to experience that feeling too. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the best of real life, huh? You excited for the crowd in that game here? For sure. There too. It's this is it's just the best. I don't know. It's just that that rivalry game is just different. <laughs> I asked you yesterday if you wanted to come in here, and you actually said anything for the school. Can you expand a little bit on that? Uh, I mean, since I took my visit here, I just felt like I was treated with love. So it's like it's just family around here. So I feel like even when I do graduate, I'm always going to be alumni. So I'm gonna for sure come back. Anything for the school. I mean, like. Anything for this school. It's just it's that wildcat pride. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been here five years, and these five years changed my life. So uh, it's just, like I said, anything for the program as far as, like, giving back to the basketball, anything. It's just anything. And with Coach Spar leaving with you going into your final season, was it kind of difficult for you to say, you know, I want to stay here for one more year, even with a culture change and all that stuff? Or was it kind of easy, you know, being here for four years already to say, no, I'm staying home? Uh, it was actually tough. When I got the phone call, I didn't honestly believe it, to mm -hmm. be honest. Uh, I thought Malik was joking. Malik Montoya had called me and he was like, uh, Spartan just got fired. And I was like, you're joking. And then I text my assistant coach and he broke me into the news. But uh, it was at first it was kind of tough. It was kind of weird because I never had a coach fired ever in my life. I mean, I always played for, I was always on the one coach wherever program I was at. So mm -hmm. it was kind of different. Uh, I had some mixed emotions at first and was talking to my father about it. And at the end of the day, we just thought about how far I came education wise. Just I've been here four years and I was close to graduating, so I didn't want to set back or transfer anything. I mean, I just felt like the program was like I said always always felt like it was home mm -hmm. from Seattle. So that was pretty much uh, the bright side. And then Renta was always, he's an alumni that went here too. So he played for Sparland. So that was kind of kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to stay too on okay. top of that. So, I mean, it was it was a tough decision at first though. I mean, I, I, I thought about it, sat down with my parents and we just felt like it was best for me to just come back from my senior year and just finish off strong. So finishing out here at CW, what's life after you graduate this season? Uh, hopefully to play overseas. I mean, that's definitely my goal. That's always been my dream to travel, play overseas, experience that lifestyle. Uh, but I mean, always got to have a backup plan because you can't hoop forever. So uh, I'm thinking about getting my master's in teaching, hopefully be an athletic director or a physical education teacher. So we'll see how that goes. Would you like to come back here at CW one day? Uh, for sure. Uh, this is a second home uh, right behind Seattle. So I mean, it wouldn't hurt to come back and get back or work here. So that's definitely something I could consider in the future reference. All right, one last thing before I let you get out of here. 
going into this season, I want your final predictions on, you know, you guys are ranked preseason eighth. What are you going to be ranked come the end of the season? Uh, Number one, that's my mindset. I mean, like I said, we're the underdogs. Even though we're an undersized team, I mean, this is the best team I played on chemistry-wise. Off the floor, we uh, we just like each other. I mean, there's no no hate or nothing. So uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a challenging season, but I feel like we could finish out and come out number one. I mean, I don't see what's stopping us without putting in the work. All right, there's Wildcat guard Naeem Ladd beginning his final campaign here sure. for the Wildcat season going into this season. Go Cats! Thanks for coming in. Welcome back into Sports Central. This segment's gonna be all about the football trade deadline. So I'm bringing in two. Football experts, you could say, from the radio station. Football experts. Yeah, f- football experts in air quotes. Ian Collins and Cajal Lang to talk about the trade deadline. What do you guys want to talk about first? What's the biggest thing that's happened so far? I think the biggest, most talented player that just got traded was probably Dante Fowler to the Rams. Uh, it was kind of known that the really? Rams... An offensive lineman, you're going to say... Is, offensive or, lineman. Sorry, sorry. Defensive lineman. Thinking, there's so many <laughs> trades going through my head Oh, today. it's fine. Don't worry. Um, but, no, he's definitely one of the more talented people that got traded right off the bat today. And he's a young talent. So, the Rams, they've kind of proven, hey, we're all in. And we're trying to go to a Super Bowl this year. So, now you got Ndamukong Sue. You got um, Aaron Donald. And now they have a really good pass rusher with Dante Fowler. And for just trade, a third round a, pick. Yeah, third round pick this year and a fifth round pick next year. Ian, what yeah. was sort of your reaction to that? I couldn't disagree more. Uh, you said the biggest trade of the trade deadline? Dante Fowler? Come on. Uh, Dante, <laughs> Fowler, Dante Fowler hasn't done anything yet. He's been in the league three or four years. I uh, was out with an injury for most of his rookie season. All uh, of his rookie season. All of his rookie season. Uh, 100% the biggest trade so far is Ha Ha Clint Dix. Uh, the Redskins definitely got a top five safety with that trade easily every single year. He has been so good in Green Bay. I love watching him. I'm not a huge Green Bay fan, but you know, uh, he's, he's a good player. Uh, I think he can really help out the defense there in Washington. They don't really have the talent like Ha Ha Clint Dix over there mm-hmm. in Washington, so I think that's that's a big well, pickup for them. Well, going back to the to the Rams trade, I mean, people have been saying all season that the Rams need help on defense to just push themselves. You know, they're undefeated, but they're right. still kind of unproven on defense, so they needed that one last piece. I think they got it. So Cajal does have a fair point that that might have been the biggest trade today. So I, well, when it comes down to it, I think the I think that uh, Ian might be right when it comes to saying uh, what team gained the most with yeah. their trade. Right. But with the Rams, they got a much-needed puzzle piece because the pass rush can't be done with just Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue, as great as they are. But now when you have to block both of those guys with two men and then you have to get Dante Fowler on the outside now, I don't know what teams are going to do. But the Redskins do have a pretty solid defense, but they were lacking in the middle of the field when yeah, it comes to safety let's position. Let's talk about this trade. You made so. a face when he, when he said the Redskins. So, uh, yeah, he said the Redskins didn't have that good of a defense. Their yeah. defense has been fine. They've been pretty good. But when you look at the system, uh, what they want to run is a defense-heavy team with, um, with a good running game. So that's why you have, I think it was in week one, Adrian Peterson and um, what's his name? The other running back. For the Redskins? Yeah. I wouldn't know. Adrian Peterson's doing... Yeah, yeah Adrian Peterson's Adrian doing Peterson. muscle. Yeah. Both of their running backs had about 300 yards by themselves, and that's exactly the kind of formula that they want to run. Um, so just kind of following that Cowboys, emulating the Cowboys, just get the run going right. and try to stop them a little bit on defense. And it masks a bad defense, but with HaHa in the middle now, 
you're going to get some help for Josh Norman, who's been kind of quiet over the past few years since he left Carolina, but he's still got the talent he's shown. So, Redskins running back Chris Thompson? Chris Thompson, Chris yes. Thompson. Yeah. Great I, receiving back. I think this trade is going to help out the Redskins offense a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Smith, during practice, doesn't really have a lot of guys going up against him, mm-hmm. uh, in, especially in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So uh, a top-level safety that he, he's used to going up against in games not necessarily in practice. This is this is really going to help him out. So I think he might uh, he might pick up a little bit over the middle of the field. Probably probably not a deep pass. Alex Smith really isn't a deep pass kind of guy. He never did that in Kansas City. He's more of a short dump off kind of guy. But uh, the run game over in Washington is really good. But I think this will pick up the pass game a little bit. So and that NFC East was a big question mark going into the season you know a lot of people thought the Eagles were just going to walk away with the division again but we've seen so much mediocrity out of that division the Redskins are kind of stepping up as the number one team as of late so I think this could help them sort of win the division I could even say because of Uh, the because of how bad the other teams are in in the division you know I mean the Cowboys are crippled without Travis Frederick um and the Redskins aren't anything special but they're the ones that have been able to get the most going and pull out the most like just clutch wins when it comes down to it. Uh, I don't think that they're the most talented d- team in this division, but they seem to be the only ones who can get it together. So, But I, I do think in terms of actual importance of trade, the one trade that's really competing with the Redskins right now would probably be the Demarius Thomas to, to the Texans. Yeah, tell me about that one. So that's really important because they just lost Will Fuller mm-hmm. for the season. And if you have any, if you've been watching the Texans at all, the connection between between Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller is just absolutely ridiculous. And, and now they're going to have DeAndre Hopkins and Demarius Thomas yeah. for and Watson to throw to. So, like, Demarius Thomas is really good. He's got good speed, and that's kind of what they needed with Fuller out. Mm-hmm. But um, the problem with him has always been the drops. He He typically drops a lot of balls. So... He, he won't be as sure of hand, with his hands as Will Fuller was, but it's going to keep them in playoff contention because, believe it or not, they are the number one team in that division. It's insane, yeah. but they are the number kind one team in that division. Kind of the same thing going on in the NFC East down there where you think the Jaguars are going to win the division again and the Texans are just stepping up way better this season. I never thought by halfway through the season I would be saying Jaguars are last in the division and yeah. by a pretty good amount. Like yeah. Blake Bortles has just tanked that team, so it's really open to anyone. The Colts have been playing well, but I think the Texans see the opportunity mm. where they might be one of the most complete teams if the Jaguars don't decide to do something to get rid of Bortles. With all these trades here on the trade deadline day, I've seen a lot of tweets saying, you know, because uh, Denver gets Demarius Thomas, and um, excuse me, they trade Demarius Thomas and that seventh-round pick to Houston for a fourth-round and a seventh-round pick. I've seen a lot of tweets saying the Cowboys really messed up giving away a first-rounder for Amari Cooper. Oh, I've been saying that since day one. Yeah. Uh, a first-round pick? Uh, John Gruden had that planned out from the beginning. John Gruden is trying to kind of throw the season. I, he's prob- Of course, nobody really wants to throw a season, but, I mean, you have to do what you have to do, and especially with the 10-year contract um, or 9-year contract, John Gruden is rebuilding, and he's getting first-round picks for players that he could probably... Amari Cooper is a good wide receiver, but he's not... Thinking about the future, though, that long contract, like you say, Amari Cooper is only 24 years old. True. He's still a uh, wide receiver of the future, kind of, for your team. I think the important thing you have to do when you look at this trade is put yourself in the coach's shoes. So... Jason Garrett has been saved pretty much every year because he'll have a really terrible year, but then the next year he'll take him to the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then he'll have a terrible year, and it's just a repeating cycle. Yeah. Last year they didn't go to the playoffs. 
This year, they're not looking to go to the playoffs either, but they easily could in that bad division. But when you look at if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's probably going to get fired. Blowing a first-round pick makes absolute sense for him. If he spends a first-round pick on Amari Cooper and it works out, then his job is saved. And that means Amari Cooper was doing really well and they have their receiver of the future. But if it doesn't go well, he doesn't have to worry about that first-round pick because he's not going to be in the building anymore. So either way, it's... it. I don't want to say it's a win-win situation for him, but it was the most logical trade that he could make to get someone who might actually be able to save his job. And another trade today, former Seahawks wide receiver Golden Tate going to the Eagles. There's something I'm seeing right now in the NFC East that's it's looking like it's going to be a crazy end of the season because you have the Eagles going out and getting a star wide receiver in Tate, and you have the Cowboys going out and getting a star receiver in Cooper. So what do the Redskins do? They go out and get a star defensive back in Ha Clinton Dix. It's kind of setting Absolutely, up. Yeah. I, th- I think the Redskins might have pushed a little bit more for Clinton Dix today because of the Cooper and Golden Tate trades, possibly. Absolutely, yeah. I I really like the Golden Tate trade. Uh, I think it really helps out the Eagles, but I do not know why Detroit traded him. They mm-hmm. they don't have wide receiver presence to be able to trade one of their probably their top wide receiver. I I'm, I disagree. Kenny Kenny Galladay and um, who's the other guy out there? Evans. So the the for uh, Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones. So for the Lions, the thing is. Uh, Kenny Galladay has been getting the most snaps of any of the Lions wide receivers. So if you're not going to be able to put him on the field, and Marvin Jones has showed that if he needs to be a number one receiver, he can be. But right now, he doesn't have to be. So you have Kenny Galladay, and he's probably going to be the number one now. Marvin Jones can step up. And then you have, I believe it's TJ Jones, who has been a really, really good player in the slot. And now with the emergence of the run game, um, it hasn't been spectacular, but it's something. It's that's a where semblance they need the most help. They and that's could, where they, they need could it. have gotten rid of a wide receiver. So you have a you have a quarterback who can improv and do really well with whatever weapons that he has. Even though Ian might disagree, I think Matt Stafford's totally fine. He's been a top ten quarterback for Trash. the past forever years, but um, he's going to be able to do a lot with the wide receivers that he has, especially because they are still talented, and he's got good running backs now. So mm-hmm. I think the team is making moves for the future. So that they can set up and build that defense better, which I think is something Matt Patricia really wanted to do when he first stepped into Detroit. Let's kind of localize and talk about the Seahawks now for a little bit. Do you think they need to make any moves to sort of make that push into the NFC wild card? Yeah, well, they always need to make moves. Uh, it always seems like the Seahawks always need a player. They always need that that guy, that Earl Thomas, mm-hmm. that, that's currently not playing. Uh, they they really needed to trade Earl Thomas. I I have to say that they yeah. needed to trade Earl Thomas. They needed to get a younger guy in there who's going to stay there for a long time, like Richard Sherman, like Cam Chancellor, like Earl Thomas did. Um, I I think a lot of people are going to hate me for this. They need to trade Russell Wilson. Really? They do. They you agree they, with that, Cajun? Yeah. Yeah. I th- we do. Um, I think we should talk about that in a sec because that's going to be a very long tangent but (laughs) uh, when it comes to just the defense um, I think you look at who we have we have Shaquille Griffin great we have Bradley McDougal great Tedrick Thompson not really ready but he's shown some flashes and Coleman yeah he's fine we have some of the best linebackers in the league and the the defensive line is solid but I do think we needed Dante Fowler I think he was the one that we had to trade for because we needed that other rusher coming off the edge when when the Seahawks were best it was because Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill were causing disruption and now we have Frank Clark who has just shown that he is far and wide possibly one of the best ends in the league. Mm-hmm. Not up there necessarily with J.J. Watt, but he's in that second tier. But if we had had someone like Dante Fowler to create pressure on the other edge while Frank Clark's taking some away on the other side, I think that would have been 
a knockout combo, and it might have been what the Seahawks needed to push themselves into the playoffs. But if we can't get that kind of defensive player to really finish it off and finalize it, I don't know if they're going to be able to make it. Well, let's talk about what Ian said. Yeah. Trading away Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the future, the franchise quarterback, a guy that a lot of people think is going to spend all 20-plus years of his career here in Seattle if he can stay healthy his whole career. Russell Wilson currently is a top-tier quarterback. He's he's really good. He's got that good Madden rating. I mm-hmm. uh, love using the Seahawks, but it's kind of like the Herschel Walker situation in Dallas back in the day. Uh, Herschel Walker, amazing running back, Hall of Famer, absolutely all-pro guy. Mm-hmm. They had to trade him, though, to get the picks that they got to rebuild. To that, That's the greatest rebuild story of all time. They trade Herschel Walker. They get Emmitt Smith. It's a win-win situation. Herschel Walker still goes on to have a pretty good career, but it's, it's kind of like that situation. They have to give up something because it hasn't been working for them. They need to give up their star quarterback to be able to get three or four star players in the future. So, I, I will counter that with saying that they need to go back to their old drafting days of 2011-2012 to get back to where they need to be and start having good drafts again because you have so many young guys on this team and if you keep bringing in young talent that in four or five years are as good as what happened in the 2012-2013 seasons you'll be back to how good you were you know I don't think they need to trade Russell Wilson Cajun what do you think so the problem is I think the Seahawks are shooting themselves in the foot and it's mainly due to Pete Carroll um I I I, I'm going to openly say I don't like the way that Pete Carroll has coached this team lately. Mm. Uh, it's, it hasn't necessarily been with what the players were saying or anything. It's just the fact that he do, he's not willing to give up and start a rebuild, but he's also not building a talented enough roster to actually go to the Super Bowl. So now you're left in it with a team that might make the playoffs, might not, but if they do get to the playoffs, they're probably not going to get anywhere near a Super Bowl. So that just leaves you with bad draft picks well, mid-round draft picks that aren't going to get you anywhere, and the Seahawks aren't going to be able to make the moves they need. Russell Wilson is going to be out of the building after 2019, or he's going to have the option to walk after 2019. Mm -hmm. And in that time, the Seahawks have to find him better receivers, assuming that DJ Moore isn't just absolutely exploding out of the gate, and have to find him an offensive line. The offensive line has been playing okay, but it's not where it needs to be, and Russell Wilson is going to want out of the building if he isn't going to be able to stay protected and if he's not going to have those weapons that he needs. I think I agree with Ian where if the Seahawks decide to trade him, build draft picks, draft a few stars, and if they trade him this year, which would be awesome, if they traded him this year and they tanked next year, that would set them up so well for 2021. And I think that's a Super Bowl team. If they can get one good quarterback, um, Kirk Cousins will be up to be signed. Uh, Drew Brees, I doubt he'll continue to be playing, but he'll he'll be there. There are going to be a lot of good quarterbacks hitting the free free agency market. But if you look at into college, like Tua uh, from Alabama has just yep. been lighting it up, yep. and he is the spitting image of Russell Wilson. And we'd be able to get him because we have a we did poorly in 2020. Yeah. So I think I think that would probably be the best option for them. Um, I think that right now Pete Carroll's put them in too tough of a spot to be able to come back if they don't make some big move like that. Before I let you guys go, you guys are, Ian, you're a Chiefs fan. Cajal, you're a Bengals fan. I want to talk about your guys' team for a second. We had to talk about the Seahawks, my team. Let's talk about your team and what they can do to sort of set Let's themselves up. Let's talk about the, the Chiefs victory over the Bengals a couple weeks ago. <laughs> okay, okay. What can, was, what can your guys' <laughs> teams do to set themselves up for the last part of the season, going into the playoffs, and even possibly getting to the Super Bowl or winning it? 
So for the Bengals, they have a lot of the they have a lot of the pieces in place. Um, Joe Mixon really exploded out of the gate. The receivers are looking great. Everything is really really solid. But you don't have the quarterback that can really put you above. I would say a middling team. The Bengals are a good team, but they will never be a great team until they find a quarterback who won't shoot them in the foot. I'd say for four or five games mm-hmm. in the season. That's going to be keeping them down for for as long as Andy Dalton's on the team. As much as I hate to say it, because he's been solid, but he hasn't had a good he hasn't had a playoff win yet. And speaking of no playoff wins, your coach isn't doing you any favors either. Your coach just is not going to be helping you and putting you over the hump. You look at what Sean McVay did in his first year on the Rams and how we put the talent around him and how he was able to just bolster that yeah. offense with no talent. Yeah, no talent. He took him from worst to first in one year. Yeah, and. Nobody on the Bengals is capable of doing that, except for a lot of the stars who are just wasting their careers. Ian, Chiefs are considered, widely considered, top five, maybe top three in the NFL right now. Some would number consider one. them the best. They I'm are. sure you yeah. would. How, how are they going to make sure they are the number one team at the end of the season, Super Bowl champions? Well, I don't want to sound like every coach ever in every interview, but consistency is key here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has to keep going. Uh, he's totally an MVP candidate right now. Uh, he needs to keep getting to his receivers. He's got weapons all the way around him. Uh, they need to keep getting Kareem Hunt going. He, he was slow out of the gate in the season, beginning of the season, but uh, he's been doing great lately, those sick hurdles. Uh, <laughs> but I, if you look at the Chiefs, the rest of the games for the Chiefs, they have Baltimore, they have uh, the Browns, they have the Seahawks, the Cardinals, uh, the Raiders, they have the Rams. I can name one or two teams in there that I think have a chance at beating them, and that's the Rams and that's the Ravens. That's it. Maybe the Seahawks. It depends on how yeah. they do. I don't. I got to look at it after the trade deadline, uh, see if I, the Rams and Dante Fowler, if they can get Dante Fowler going, they have a serious chance to beat the Chiefs. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Chiefs have a really easy uh, lineup for the rest of the year. Um, What they need to do, number one, consistency. Number two, they need to get somebody at middle linebacker. They have Justin Houston coming off the edge. They rush a right outside linebacker. Uh, They need guys up front. They they need D linemen. They need interior guys to stop the run. They're terrible at stopping the run. You saw it against the Broncos. Um, but number one, they need guys in the middle. So that's what I have to say. Go Chiefs. Well, I've been enjoying watching the NFL this season, and this trade deadline only raised the bar for me, and I cannot wait until the end of the season. I honestly hope that the NFC Championship game is Seahawks versus someone, and AFC Championship game is Chiefs versus Bengals, so we can all get together and yell at each other. Oh, I hope not. Andy Dalton in prime time. <laughs> Seahawks, I mean, Rams. It's going to be a Bengals. No. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a, a victory. It's going to be a victory if the Bengals can pull a playoff win after <laughs> this long. But you know, Super yeah. Bowl predictions. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Chiefs, Rams. Chiefs win thirty-eight to twenty-four. That's my that's my prediction for who's going. I'll take the Rams just because he's a Chiefs fan. I would like to see. I think the Vikings and the Chiefs would Vikings? be one of the yeah. most fun games okay. to watch. Oh my goodness! Maybe maybe we'll see a repeat of Super Bowl one. 
Chiefs Green Bay. <laughs> it might happen. Aaron Rodgers needs to pick it up. I mean, but, Ty Montgomery's not on the team to choke it for him anymore, so. True. And they don't have Ha Ha Clinton Dix, so that'd be an easy win for the Chiefs. My homer pick is going to be uh, Seahawks over the Patriots in a revenge game. <laughs> That's my homer pick of the year. Brady retires after the end of the season. Just <laughs> right after the game. Yep. Right after the game. <laughs> Seahawks just whop them in the play in the Super Bowl. He like gets intercepted on the seven. two yard yeah. line because they threw and they didn't run. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the NFL talk. Cajo Lang, Ian Collins joining me in studio. We'll be right back here on Sports Central on 88 One The Berg. You're listening to 88 One The Berg, your music central. It's DJ BWT. We're out here talking today about how much we hate sports. Sports is just the absolute. Oh my gosh, our radio DJs just don't get it. Sports broadcasting is much bigger than music. When's the last time Taylor Swift made you feel like watching Tom Brady get sacked? And even though Rick Ross looks like a defensive tackle, he can't entertain you like Vince Wolfork in overalls. This is it, Chief. The show you've been waiting for, Sports Central, every Saturday at 9 a.m. Ugh, Austin, you're such a meathead. Shut up, Benito. Sitting down here now with Jessamine McIntyre, executive producer at 710 ESPN Seattle and sideline reporter for the WSU IMG Sports Radio Network. Thank you for joining us today, Jessamine. Yeah, thanks for having me, Austin. Let's get right into the questions. We're talking Cougar football this season, something that surprised a lot of people. Me personally, I'm a Huskies fan, so I'm sure you'll be glad to rub it in my face the next 15 minutes or so. Oh, yeah. You know what? (laughs) I only take joy in Cougar victories. I don't take solace in Huskies losses. So, um, honestly, I mean, we're going to have another crazy Apple Cup. Regardless of what has happened with the Huskies, it's still going to mean quite a bit to both when it comes to bowl mm-hmm. play, and, you know, we'll see how the Cougs do the next three weeks leading up to it. But uh, a lot on the line this one. Uh, but, yeah, when you talk about a surprise, considering uh, how much of the coaching staff was gutted and how many seniors they graduated, starting seniors for that matter, I don't think anyone was expecting Coach Leach to be this successful. I mean, he uh, you never want to doubt him, but it, it was expected to be somewhat of a rebuilding year. And, you know, when you graduate your quarterback and a lot of your offensive line, all Americans and draft picks, then you are looking at, you know, an unknown quarterback coming in as well. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the defense. You know, you lose Hercules Mata'afa and your defensive coordinator two years ago, your defensive line coach. There's just a lot of turnover and it's rare to see success in a year like that. Yeah, let's talk about that quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Uh, like you said, one of the more surprising factors coming into the season. What have you seen out of him so far that's made him stand out? The biggest thing that I can tell you is the patience he has in the pocket. And that doesn't mean just standing tall. You can actually see him. And I want people to watch this because I love watching it from the sideline, how he sets his feet as he goes through his progressions. He will go through every single progression before he even thinks about checking down. And then when he is being pursued, all of a sudden you forget, oh, there's a mobile quarterback in this air raid offense because he can move. And he can, he's moved the chains before on his own with his feet, but he'll get out of trouble and he'll take a shot downfield. And the trust that his wide receivers have in him and vice versa is outstanding. So patience is one thing that I've noticed. And then what Coach Leach says is that he has ultimate confidence. And that should not be uh, confused with cockiness because he's so confident that he's not that way, that he's humble, and he knows what he can do. If he makes a good play, he's the same exact way after he makes a bad play. He goes over and talks to his coaches. He talks to his teammates. What did you see on that? If it's a mistake, you know, he wants to know how he can get better. If it's a successful play, if, if it's a touchdown, he wants to know how he can do it again. 
So it's patience and confidence, and uh, it's been tremendous to watch. I wish this wasn't the only year we'd see him with the Cougs. Mm -hmm. And you talked about that Apple Cup coming up in a couple weeks. Huskies have won the Apple Cup the past five seasons and the past 15 out of 20 seasons. What changes this season for WSU to beat them in Pullman? I think that you have got a defense that has taken a step forward the past couple of years. Now, I don't know if they're as good as they were last year, but if they, you know, if they are, I think that's where the difference is going to be. Um, they have a strong defense the offense. I mean, you don't, you just look at any stat sheet and you can see how successful that is. I think the difference is going to be what the, uh, the Cougars defense can do against the Huskies offense. Mm-hmm. That is, that's the biggest difference I'll see. And something to note, the four games in the Apple Cup history that have gone to overtime were actually in Pullman. This year, I could see this game going to overtime, two great teams uh, going head-to-head there. If it does go into overtime, what are some key players for the Cougars, other than quarterback Gardner Minshew, that can take you guys up and over the top if it does go into extra overtime? Well, the biggest thing to keep your eye on on the defensive side of the ball is is Logan Tago. He wears number 45. He has been an unbelievable instrumental part of this defense you know, when you talk about Hercules Mataafa leaving last year, um, he isn't necessarily filling those shoes, but he's the guy on defense, mm-hmm. and he's the one that is going to get to the quarterback. He's going to cause pressure, um, and he is fantastic at tackling in open space. Uh, the secondary for the Cougs has had a little bit of trouble when it comes to pass interference. They are undersized. Um, you know, the, the Cougs have played the past two weeks without their tallest corner in Sean Harper Jr. No word on when he'll be back. But uh, Darian Moulton and Marcus Strong uh, are really working hard to keep clean on that defense, uh, but they can get uh, you know outsized um, and mm-hmm. therefore outphysicaled. So certain quarterbacks have been picking on them. So if you're talking about the Husky side of the ball, I think that Jake Browning and Chris Peterson will put in a game plan to do that. But if you're talking about the Cougars side of the ball, their line, uh, you know, uh, one of the underrated guys on this defense, number 56, Taylor Comfort, uh, kind of came in and won a starting position this year. He hasn't been seen quite a bit. He's a stout guy, shorter than the rest of the line, but he can get penetration, and he's really fun to watch. He's caused a few fumbles. Um, the linebacking core, outstanding with Jihad Woods and Peyton Pelour. Who would have thought Peyton Pelour coming back for a sixth year after sitting out since the Boise State game last year, that that would be the kind of performance we'd mm-hmm. get, but putting that veteran savvy to use. So I'd say it comes down to what Jake Browning does with the bull and what the Cougars defense can do against him if we go to overtime. And even looking post-Apple Cup this season, you guys are coming into this uh, weekend ranked eighth in that college football playoff, and some people are saying you guys are the Pac-12's last hope to get a team in. Do you think that's actually possible to go to the playoff with this team? Yeah, it is actually. I mean, I am just like a coach. I want to take it one week at a time. Mm -hmm. This is my seventh year covering this team. Anything can happen any week. But looking at the schedules, the way that everything matches up with the teams that are ranked ahead of them, it absolutely is a possibility. And you look at certain of the undefeated teams, you know, LSU still has to play Alabama. And then USC plays Notre Dame the last game of the year. And depending on what that happens there, and you go back to a tough road loss by a blocked field goal with some questionable calls from the Pac-12, we'll leave that one alone for now, <laughs> then that, that loss ends up looking really good if, if that game gets really competitive. Yeah. So it's not, it, it is, I mean, it's a long shot because it's a long shot for any team to get into that playoff if you're not Alabama. So, uh, it, but it is a possibility. It, it really is. 
and moving forward into the future of not only this season but future seasons, are the Cougs sort of setting themselves up to be the uh, next dominant force in the Pac-12? Yeah, you know what? This year, I've always you know thought of Mike Leach as a great coach who can build a program, but I think this is the he proved it year that he has a program. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things to look at too is the stars of the recruits coming in, the guys that he gets in his system. Not a lot of four-star guys, not a lot of, you know, a decent amount of three-star guys, but he actually hires coaches who can coach these guys. He's like, you know what, Uh, you know, I'm not going for the prettiest girl in the dance. I'm going to go for, you know, the one who I I believe I can have a relationship with, if you uh, will (laughs) accept that analogy there. Mm -hmm. But he's, you know what, if if everybody is going to be going after the four-star people, Sure, we'll offer him, but I'm going to put my effort into a guy that will be a tremendous part of this program, will contribute, and who I can coach and make better and better each year. And you see it in the wide receiving core here. How many people do you think, and this is no disrespect to these guys, but you know, look at Travell Harris, look at Aesop Winston, look at what has happened with Des Patman and the step forward he's taken this year. He gets these guys that he can coach up, and now with the national spotlight, there's kids all over the country who are seeing this. If you want to, and, and that's on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So if you want to be a better football player and get into a program where football is, you know, I mean, you want to go to a school where football is everything, then c- come to Washington State. I think it'll just keep getting better. I agree with you there. I think uh, Mike Leach is doing a great job at building a program over there in Pullman. And one last thing before I let you go. Yesterday, your coworker Brock Heward over at 710 ESPN Seattle tweeted, legit question posed by one of my close friends who also happens to be an incredible WSU fan. Was October the single greatest month in Coug sports history? So two questions for you. Were you that fan that told him that? And secondly, (laughs) do you think it was the greatest month in Coug sports history? Uh, well, I can only speak for my time with the team, which has been seven years, um, and it absolutely was for me. I was not that person. Um, okay. So it, it wasn't me, but for, uh, considering my time here, it has absolutely been the best. It, you know, you add game day in there, the fanfare, the big win at home over Oregon, the big win on the road for, you know, at Stanford. Everything that has happened, it's been awesome. And I don't like other people like to do. I'm not putting UW losses in that category because Mm -hmm. I don't like to do that. It's just about what the Cougars have done. And it has been absolutely tremendous. And I think added to that is the lower expectations coming into this year where, you know, they're just exceeding them. And it's, it's been fantastic to watch, not to mention just how much fun this offense is to watch. You know, it's not just that it's been wins and losses. It's that they're so much fun to watch. And there you have it, my interview with Jessamine McIntyre. Again, Jessamine, thank you for coming on. I can't wait to see if the Cougs can stay a one-loss team going to the end of the season, coming down to the wire, and go into that playoff. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome back into Sports Central. Sitting down now, Austin Lane. Joining me is Peyton Barons. We're talking about CWU football here at the end of the show. Coming up next is going to be the live broadcast of CWU football over in Missouri. Jeff and Dave on the call over there. But Peyton, I want to talk about this game this weekend going at Southwest Baptist University, a team that's coming into this game 0-8 on the season. Something you don't want to see as a Wildcat fan right now. 
Well, in Austin, I kind of see this game as a trap game. You know, it's college football, and especially at Division II level, it's hard to travel all the way across the country and play a good, put-together football game. So I think that, you know, this is a little troublesome for Coach Shue and his Wildcats, and I think that there's going to be points in this game where it looks very sloppy. And, you know, the start time for this game, 11 a.m. Pacific time. I don't know if these boys are going to be acclimated to the whole yeah, time change. Yeah, they'll still be on 8 a.m. time. Exactly, and so it's going to be a little different going over there um you know it's a 1 p.m kickoff in missouri 11 11 a.m here and it's it's a trap game that's as yeah. that's what i'm going to define it as and that last game of the season next week uh home against the Zusa pacific might be for the GNAC championship so i don't want the guys to go out there and overlook this team just because they're zero and eight and you're seven and zero in the GNAC and you're playing a tough opponent next week like you said, going over, traveling across the country, you cannot overlook this game at all. And looking at it, you know, with the big travel and everything that's going into it, you got to stay healthy for that game next week, but you also cannot afford a loss. A team that's 7-2 and right now, 7-0 and in conference, but 0-2 non-conference, you know, they lost to Eastern week one of the season, and hopefully when it comes playoff time, you know, the voters are not looking at that Eastern game. You know, if they look at the record alone, they won't put a two-loss team in, but looking at it, seeing that's a Division One opponent in Eastern. That should help the Wildcats case trying to get in. That other loss came to West Texas at home when they were opening up Tomlinson Stadium here. A 28-26 loss in the Wildcats. They didn't look fully great in it, but I think you know the Wildcats in this non-conference game, they got to pull out a win. And I know it's an 0-8 Southwest Baptist team, but you can't sleep on these guys at all because you know they got the home field advantage. This is how those you know great teams lose their dynasty. And Central, they're working with a dynasty right now. If they make the playoffs again this year, I think you know Central is one of the best programs in Division II football across the entire country. That's a very fair point to be said. And if I'm on the team as a player or as a coach, I'm going into this game and treating it like that game against West Texas. Texas, like you said, we're 0-2 non-conference. We can throw the Eastern game out of the window, but if you're taking away the Eastern game, you're still 0-1 against that out-of-conference team, West Texas. So you still don't really know what to expect from this team. And But looking at the last four games on offense, we've scored 45, 48, 60, and 62 points. What, what's going to be the thing on offense to look out for? I mean, offense... You, the goal, you know, everyone wants to talk about victory formation, but Central's victory formation is getting Christian Moore in the game, and I'm so excited to watch this kid develop. He's a redshirt freshman this mm-hmm. year, and Riley Hennessy doesn't like to sit out on these second halves just because there's a big lead. He gets bored over on the bench, but everyone on the team loves seeing Christian Moore come into the game. He's a proven quarterback who's ready to go for next year. You know, this is Riley Hennessy's senior year. He wants to get every snap of football that he can, but when Christian Moore comes in the second half, Wildcats are usually leading leading that point, you know, by 30. But Christian Moore shows no sign of taking his foot off the gas pedal. I want to see Christian Moore come in and find his targets. You know, Tony Archie, get a little Christian Stafford, see how that ankle's recovering from two weeks ago. Tyson Rainwater into the mix. Uh, even Trey Mason. You know, these guys are good players who Christian Moore has a lot of confidence in when he's throwing the ball. And I just think that the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, the way that they combine, you know, the running game overshadows our passing game for the Wildcats. But they have a tremendous you know, uh, arsenal underneath their belt, these Central Wildcats, the QBs, and the receiving core. And like I said, out-of-conference opponent, I'm going to be completely honest, I haven't looked enough into their defense, but do you think it's possible 
to stop this CW offensive line and two-headed beast at running back of Cedric Cooper and Michael Roots. You know, looking at what they got up front, uh, the defense for Southwest Baptist, they got a couple 300-pounders on the line. Okay. That's you know They got a big nose tackle in Chris Redmond, who's going to be able to get in but into the backfield. He's got, you know, what, 25 tackles on the year, and he's a big boy really clogging up the middle. You know, so I think that's going to force Cedric Cooper and Mike Roots to try and get around the outside. We know Mike Roots likes going to the sideline and cutting up, mm-hmm. but, you know, we got to make sure that Ced Cooper is able to get away from the middle. He gets out to the outside, really gets around his blocking tight ends. Because right now you're throwing Winterhawk Layton as one, yeah. of your, as one of your tight ends, and that's just an extra blocker, you know, putting yeah. that big, beefy body up there. Um, you know, looking at their secondary, it, I, there's not a whole lot of interceptions on their secondary. I think you can throw on these guys. I, you know, I think that... Um, I think you're going to be able to be able to sling the ball, distribute well. There's not a senior on their starting secondary right now, okay. and I think that's a little worrisome for Southwest Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of freshmen starting back there. I think Hennessy's going to be able to pick apart windows, and that might be something to lead why they they're starting out 0 and 8 on the year. Let's flip the side on the ball now. CW defense. Let's talk a little bit about them. We've seen a couple problems in their secondary this season. What are you expecting going into this game to try and fix those problems? You know, when you're looking at an 0-8 team, everybody's licking their chops and trying to get on the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Tevin Gray, he came up with, what, two interceptions last week, yep. and I think he's hungry. He wants more. Anything When you're coming off of a huge career night like that, the next week is always a letdown, and I think Tevin Gray's looking to just step on the gas pedal and try and have another back-to-back career week. You know, going at it, I think uh, Uli Maie with his... 59 tackles on the season. He's looking to build that up a little bit. You know, Josh Weichel, he's been dealing with that injury. We'll see if he even plays a little bit. He's been dealing with that injury since week three. He's been playing limited snaps. Um, I would like to see Weichel get into the mix a little bit before the Azusa Pacific game next week. Um, You know, and I'm talking a lot about this like it's a tune-up game, but Central can't be looking at this like a tune-up game. I think Billy Greer needs to have heck of a day, and he's getting the backfield. He's got three and a half sacks on the season. I think he could go out and get three sacks in this game, you know, on Saturday, or excuse me, you know, in in this game. And Billy Greer is a special talent, and so is Elijah Paga. I think, you know, we have a lot of guys who can get into that backfield, and against a weak 0-8 team, you know, I think that the Central defense will be able to step their game up and be able to have... You know, a quality, solid performance. We haven't been able to see it in the last few weeks, but I think that, you know, we're going to see an elite defensive showing coming up this weekend. Yeah, talking about those last couple games, giving up 19 points to Simon Fraser two weeks ago and 24 points last week to Humboldt State University, two teams that have not looked good on offense all season. What If you're the defensive coordinator going to this game, what are you telling these guys? That those last few weeks are unacceptable. And I know some of the guys are already seeing that. Giving up 24 to Humboldt State should be deemed as unacceptable. Mm-hmm. That's one of the worst teams in the GNAC right now, and they're down there with Simon Frazier, who they duke it out when they play head-to-head. You can't give up 24 points, and they're not even garbage time 24 points. You know, It's not happening in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. These are third-quarter points. These happen you know, late in the second quarter, early in the third quarter. And then Central starts getting on the wave, and then they put the game away late in the third quarter. But these are points that are happening in the run of play. It's not garbage time when you're throwing your third string out there. These are happening against the first string on Central. And I think, you know, they really need to buckle down. They need to, you know, snap on the helmets. Mm -hmm. They need to hit hard, wrap up on their tackles. Um, You know, the Simon Fraser game, a lot of it had to do with that they had the wide receiver John with 240 yards, and it's because he's a 6'7 body. Yeah, we have small DBs, but they need to be able to coverage. They need to be able to have their head on the swivel, knock down passes in the air. they got to stop allowing the long ball. And I think that's what's happening a lot with the central defense. 
They, you know, opposing teams like Humboldt State, Simon Fraser, they're breaking off for two 80-yard plays per game. They're having huge plays that result in touchdowns, and a lot of it, you know, that's secondary. They're getting beat, and they really have to hunker down if they want to be able to win today and then go against Azusa Pacific next week and be able to pull out a win against Azusa. Yeah, and I think the key this week is definitely that defense. We know what the offense can do already, but if the defense can find ways to step up, and I know you said this isn't a tune-up game, but if I'm going into this game expecting a win, I also want to see improvements on defense heading into that last week against Azusa Pacific. And looking real quick into that game, last time we played them down in California, 45-31 to back on October 6th. If we can sort of get over this Southwest Baptist University team, um, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm expecting a win out of this week. Going into that Azusa game, what do they have to do to get ready for those guys? The Azusa game is going to be tough. And, I mean, you got some California boys coming up with the Ellensburg cold of, what, second week in November. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to see snow that day. I think that that would be a fun thing for Azusa Pacific fun, yeah. to try and shake off. But, you know, you got to get ready to stop the run game because in that game, like I just said, this defense has been giving up big plays, and that's where a lot of Azusa Pacific's 31 points came from. There was long runs that broke off, you know, 50, 60 yards and got to the house, and you can't allow that. You really have to contain, and if a big run breaks off, you have to stop it at 30 yards. You can't let it get 60 yards. You know, your your secondary, your DBs should not be getting blocked so hard by the wide receiving core of the opposing team that they're going to allow, you know, this big run to break off. There shouldn't be that many gaps. You know, nobody should be allowed to run untouched for that long. Uh, and if they are, you know, breaking off for the big longs and they are uh, the big long runs and they are getting contact and they're breaking through it, you got to wrap up your tackles better. And that's the, that's the biggest thing with this Azusa Pacific game coming up is if the defense is able to do their job, if they're able to wrap up their tackles and, you know, they're not allowing any more run after contact, you know, when it does happen. And coming down to these last couple weeks of the season, talking about playoffs, we're right on the edge there of getting into the playoffs. What does the team need to do this week other than taking care of business at Southwest Baptist University to kind of make their case for the playoffs come the end of the season? You got to send a message. And, I mean, we I believe that they failed both times um, against Simon Frazier to send enough of a message mm-hmm. because, what, they gave up 19 and uh, nineteen and 13 to Simon Frazier, I think, the two times that they played him? Uh, 10 the first first game, 63 to 10 us, and then 60 to 19. So when you're giving up, you know, that many points to a team like Simon Frazier who hasn't yeah. got a win in conference since 2014, the voting committee looks at you poorly. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at an 0-8 team like this, you have to send a message. And the defense is the biggest thing because when you're looking at a scoreboard, 50 and 65 points, they mean the same thing. It's about how much your defense gives up. Mm-hmm. If you go out and you give up, you know, you put a big goose egg on the board, like what they did to Humboldt State at home in Yakima, that was a 49-0 game, you're throwing a huge message saying, hey, nobody gets in our end zone, nobody gets in field goal range, everyone is shut down, scoring does not happen, it's a no-fly zone. And that's what Central really needs to do uh, you know, today to be able to get huge in the playoff talks. And I know these regional rankings are coming out. Central's a bubble team right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking in, looking out. Don't know if they're getting in, but you have to send the message. You have to go out there defensively and you have to shut them down. 3 to 7 points is okay. 10 points and you're getting a little iffy now and I know that you know Central has the capability to win this game 60 to 10. But giving up 10 to an 0 and 8 team who struggles to score is mm-hmm. is is a Terror, you know, it's it's a thing that the voting committee doesn't want to see, and Central needs to really keep their playoff hopes alive by impressing the voting committee. 
yeah, something that is worth looking at on our schedule this season, the third game of the season, uh, playing Humboldt State University at home. It was the only time we have shut out an opponent. We won that game 49-0. to And then, like we said, we went down to California last week, and they put up 24 points on us. So I want to see a shutout on defense here. I don't know about you. See, seeing a shutout, I think, is would be spectacular. Not a whole lot of teams in college football get shut out, and I've been talking about this, you know, with the Simon Fraser games and stuff. You got to shut out those type of teams. Mm-hmm. And I know that Simon Fraser has an elite quarterback and an elite wide receiver, and so you're going to get scored on in those games. Today, Central Washington, they need to be able to play lockdown. And like I said, it's a no-fly zone. No one gets in, you know, and Central just needs to dominate. Foot on the gas score 49 points and be able to come out with zero, get the win. And, I mean, you know, it. I think that this game has potential to be an ugly game, but Central's better than that. Central has the capability to score 49 without a doubt. And, they, you know, they, they've shown in the past that they can goose egg someone, that they can, you know, keep everyone out of the end zone regardless of anything. And they need to get back to that form if they want to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I think coming into the playoffs last season as the number one seed, we were kind of, or riding too high, losing that first game we played. I think if we can sneak in as a lower seed this season, we can do the same exact thing as the champion from last year that beat us. You know, they came in as, what, the five seed, that Texas team, and ended up winning the whole thing. So I think Central needs to just focus on winning each game at a time before they think about the end of the season. And Texas A&M Commerce, that team from last year, I mean, Central could very well find themselves in a playoff spot with Texas A&M Commerce and, you know, have a little role reversal and go down to Texas. And and that's a tough trip. I mean, going to Missouri, uh, you know, is going to prepare them for that big playoff trip. And I think that's something big why Coach Shue scheduled this game late in the season is because, hey, this is this is an early playoff game. It should be a win. It should be a cakewalk, you know, against a team like this. But you got to be able to travel. you got to be able to deal with all the things that tr- comes with travel. And, I mean, it's tough. You know, waking up early, taking the bus ride over the pass. You know, you're, they're flying in probably, what, Friday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. They're doing some walkthroughs in the hotel ballroom. You do walkthroughs in the hotel ballroom. That's how weird these trips get. You know, you go out to the field maybe once before the actual game, mm-hmm. and then you go there game day. You go run around the field in some shorts and a long sleeve T-shirt while you're listening to music. It's a different type of travel day than any other game. And, you know, flying in, you feel like kind of a big shot going in there, traveling on a plane and stuff. But Central really has stepped their game up. They got to treat this like a playoff game. And if they come out and they treat this game like a playoff game from the first play, they should score on the first drive with ease. And then, you know, it's smooth sailing from there. But this is a playoff game, you know, coming into it for Central. And before we get out of here and send it to Jeff and Dave for the call over in Missouri, we're going to end this with what we end every week with the Alumni Plaza pregame show, your score prediction for this game. You know, I I talked about Central needs to put up at least 49. They need to give up a minimal score. Um... I think they score more than 49. They've been scoring more than 49 every week since that uh, since that Humboldt State game. They score a lot of points, and they do not, you know, they, they don't shy away from getting into the end zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50, 56 to 6 Central wins. They give up two field goals, and that's it. Two field I, goals. I think that they keep guys out of the end zone, but I think, uh, you know, the upright stays standing. Austin, what are, what's your score prediction? Well, last two weeks they've scored over 60. I think they still come in and score another 60 points for the third week in a row. I'm going to go 63 to – let's go – I'll go 7. And I'll, here's what I can see happening. You said we don't want to give up 10 points. 
I can see them going for a late field goal and us blocking it yet again. <laughs> awesome. Leading, leading and then the NCAA that saves the too. And then that saves the 10-point. I think they're leading yeah. all divisions. All Division divisions 1, 2, and 3 on block field goals. I know um, who's the main guy that's been blocking it Chase for? Demore. Yeah, Chase Demore. I know he led all of uh, NCAA Division 2, I think it was, if not Division 1, in blocked kicks. And, yeah, the team finding ways to do it. I, it, it seems like every week. Yeah, it's crazy. Special teams has been a huge thing uh, with this team and how good that they've been. They're, they're really leading the team from a place where you wouldn't expect them to. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's Sports Central. Stick around for a couple minutes. We're going to send it to Jeff McMillan and Dave Haverlow on the call over in Missouri. Thank you guys for listening this week. We'll be back next Saturday at 9 a.m. For Cajo Lang, Ian Collins, Peyton Behrens, Jessamine McIntyre, and Naeem Ladd, I'm Austin Lane. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sports Central. We'll be back next weekend here on 88.1 The Berg, your Sports Central.